Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Commonwealth Magazine podcast in partnership with Transit Matters. I'm your host, Josh Fairchild. I'm a board member at Transit Matters. I'm your co-host, Jim Aloisi. I'm also on the board of Transit Matters. Today, we're joined by Scott Mullen, Director of Expansion Northeast for Lime Bike, or as they are now known, Lime, because as a tech company, you know, they, it was just too, dis- too descriptive, I think, to say Lime Bike. Four letters is enough. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, so... Uh, the reason we're having Scott Mullen, um, and you'll, you'll hear us maybe refer to him as, as Molly because he's always telling people to call him that. Uh, the reason Molly's here today is not just because of his current role, but because of a long history of working in the uh, cycling uh, community as cycling and alternative transportation uh, community as it has what was once nascent and is now uh, growing into uh, an industry where there is uh, uh, multi-million dollar deals happening on what seems like a daily basis. I'm not sure who f- would have foreseen that. So uh, in, his, in his past, uh, Mully started out as an editor for a cycling magazine. Um, he worked with Zipcar uh, for about seven years, uh, based in Boston and Chicago also, right? Correct, yeah. Um, and then he was the general manager for Hubway here in Boston and really got it to a place where everyone rec- would recognize what it is today. Um, Which and, is Blue Bikes. Right, Blue Bikes, <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but he, he left before the name change. And uh, then he, he bounced around a little bit as an industry, a cycling industry consultant, and now is, uh, as, as I said, director of expansion at for Lime, um, which we used to call Lime Bike. Correct, yeah. And that change is really predicated is we're a mobility company, right? And we started with bicycles, and we went into e-bikes, and now we have scooters, electric scooters. So uh, we didn't think it was going to happen this quickly, but the rebranding to Lime was always in the cards. It just it, it happened after a year instead of you know, two or three. All right. So, dear listener, so we're we're talking, Molly has been sort of in the (laughs) forefront of sustainable mobility innovation, I guess, is one way to think about it. But I want listeners to really sort of consider for a moment while we're doing this podcast that mobility paradigms are changing, have changed. And one of the things that's happening is people are, are, are using bikes more and more to commute. So some recent statistics that I just want to throw up from the American Community Survey data One is that Boston is in the top 10 of the nation's larger cities with the highest share of bicycle commuters. So we rank actually number 10, Portland, Oregon, of course, ranking number one, uh, with almost 2.5% of bike commuters. But the growth, this is is important here, between 2011 and 2016, which is when this data was collected, is 41% growth. But in this century, the growth is 179%. So you can see... The direction this is going. Boston ranks 20th uh, in the nation for growth in the century, 152%. And then you'll be interested to know, or maybe not surprised, in the East Coast, the top two cities uh, for bike commuting are Somerville and then followed by Cambridge. You would have thought that might be reversed, but not any longer. Mm-hmm. Somerville and Cambridge, Somerville, 6.6% folks are commuting by bike. 6.1% of folks in Cambridge commuting by bike. And so I wanted to throw those statistics out to underscore the importance, the increasing importance of a multimodal, sustainable mobility platform and why it is that policymakers, decision makers, advocates need to begin to pay more and more attention to modes like like safe cycling. And so with that as a sort of prelude, we can talk a little bit about what's going on. You talk about e-bikes and and other things, and we should get into the, the details of that. Well, let's start with current events. So just this morning, uh, an article uh, came across that um, that 
that Lime, your company, um, was uh, got a capital infusion from a uh, investor group led by Google, and uh, Uber stole the headline, but they were only a, a portion of that investor group. So with 331 million, uh, 335 million, I think, mm-hmm. uh, investment, it was made in Lime, and that was based on a 1.1 billion dollar valuation. Now, Correct. just a couple weeks ago, um, the the company for which you're an alumnus, uh, Hubway, um, or Motivate, I'm sorry, the 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 the, the company, which is the operator of Hubway, yes. as, as well as the operator in, in several other cities of, um, of bike share programs, uh, was purchased. Motivate was purchased by um, by Lyft. Um, so now we have we have both Lyft and Uber and other technology companies are uh, are buying in at, at large valuations into um, bike share companies. Yeah. Um, what what do you think? What's your take on that? Having spent more than a decade in this industry, well, I'll say that uh, add one extra thing is Uber purchased Jump, which is the electric bike wing of Social Bicycles, and they uh, reports say 100 million, some say 200 million. We're not sure what the final price was, but Jump has been acquired by Uber. So Uber's in the electric bicycle game in that way. And they gave us some. This is a C round of funding, 335 million. We've already raised 132 million over uh, A and B rounds last year. So um, this is uh, sort of uh, going straight up. It's very fast. Uh, our company launched in uh, 2017 in January. We launched our first bicycle um, in Greensboro, UNCG, last June, and we've already logged. Yesterday was our all hands company meeting. Sort of, hey, you know, we've got this. A new round of investment. The future looks bright. People trust that we can do what we say we're going to do. Um, oh, and we also just hit our six millionth trip. So this is the sort of the numbers that we're posting here. Six million trips. You know, it took Hubway seven years to do that, and we did it in a year. Um, it just proves to that nascent demand that we talked about earlier. Um, but I think Uber and Lyft getting into this game, it's because they feel behind. You know, they, they were leading for a long time. There are two TNCs that um, had one mode. And they were just fighting it out and, uh, and not really playing nice with cities, not really collaborating with cities, sharing data, that sort of stuff. Uh, things are at our, our core at Lyme uh, because we know that we can be, have a greater impact when we work with a city on a common goal. We are a private company, but you know, I'm not here. This isn't a concession. I'm not here to make a buck with a bike. We're here to blast mode shift out of the water. The same numbers that you're talking about from you know, 2010 to 2017, a 40, 47%, I think you said, growth. Uh, we want that like now. We want it this summer. Uh, and it takes infrastructure and it takes buy-in from cities. We don't need their cash, but we do need their, their buy-in to sort of help, help create safe places for people to ride, to walk, to scoot, to get out of cars, because that's the issue. Of course, the tension is blasting the mode share out of the water, which I, by the way, I wish you well. Right. Um, <laughs> I am an optimist. From a, from a bicycle perspective, yeah. it's a good thing for urban mobility in many ways, not least of which it's, it's a zero-emission form of mobility. The tension... Uh, is that what Uber and Lyft obviously are offering is the exact opposite. It's, an, it's a heavy emission form of mobility. Mm. And, and so I think it's interesting to me to, to observe their, you know, they began with basically business model innovation. But I don't know that they really had a business model beyond the innovative part. And now I think they're thinking, gee, um, first principle of any good business, know your customer. And knowing their customer generally is telling them demographically that customer is maybe a customer who also wants to be sometimes on a bike. Mm. Two, occupy the field. So don't leave yourself constrained to vehicular mobility, particularly in an environment increasingly where, where cities are, like Chicago and others, are figuring out, wait a minute, you know, 
we're supposed to be moving towards sustainable mobility, and all we're doing is increasing VMT in urban areas. Right. How do we square that? So by, by beginning to occupy the field, it's a hedge, I think, from their business model to be able to grow in one way where they may be increasingly constrained in the other. Yeah. And it's, it's funny when you think about our electric vehicles or even any bike share bikes downtown. They are for short, punchy trips that connect to transit or maybe generate a trip that wouldn't have happened. It's lunchtime and you're seven blocks away. I'm going to get on a vehicle because walking takes too long. Um, so, yeah, I mean, their, their, their business model is uh, downtown, you know, with too much. They have to have an oversupply to be able to get the, uh, uh, the trips that people want right away. And that creates congestion. That creates chaos on the roads. It's funny. I've been cycling in this town for many, many years, and I feel less safe now than I did back 20 years ago. Because cycling. Cycling. Because back then, people would come at you on purpose with their cars, and it was sort of a sport, right? They would swerve at you and honk and, like, really try to distract you. Now, they're just not even paying attention. They'll just roll into you. I know it still happens, probably, but they just roll right into you because they're looking at their phone, right? So it's mm -hmm. really distracted driving is more of an issue now, and these TNCs that sort of, you know, dive bomb to pick somebody up that's, oh, they're right there, you know, the, the curb is unmanaged, the space in the middle, the right-of-way, you know, everyone talks about dockless mobility, and they're like, how are you going to fit into the sidewalk with every else it's like how are we going to reclaim some space that's what we should be talking about because all the stuff in the middle is unmanaged and it's overwhelmingly for the movement storage of, of personal vehicles and private vehicles it, it doesn't work if you were advising the mbta say mm -hmm. there's a snapshot in time right now moment in time yeah there are three things you could do to help the t be more synergistic with cycling that it's not doing today oh my goodness that um like what's what's what should they be doing starting January 1st, 2019, that would help them be more competitive with Uber and Lyft in some way, but also be much more synergistic knowing their customer yeah. with the folks who like to take transit. Well, I will say that I think the T is doing a pretty good job, right? Uh, I know a lot of people like to beat up on the T, and you know, certainly nobody's perfect. No, no group is perfect. Um, better bike access, you know, we've got racks on all the buses. That's a good thing, right? So people can take their private uh, bike uh, if they want. I've only used it once, actually, in all the years that they've had racks on buses, and it was because it was a deluge. And I said, you know what, I'm not riding home in this. And I put it on the front of the bus, and I took the bus you know, within a block of my house. Um, it may be more access to, you know what, I, I guess I, that's a great question because access to the trains that you know, there's some, uh, like, uh, Seattle, for example, has on their light rail, like there's at all times a day, you can bring a bike on the train, on the mm -hmm. tram, because you just hang it up on the wall. There's like dedicated racks, but I'm not even advocating for that because I think bikes should be connections to transit. You shouldn't have to lug it on transit because how are you going to get it down the stairs and elevators and all that? More bike storage? Um, bike storage is good. Yeah. I mean, if you look at Alewife, wow, it's just uh, they keep installing more secure bike cages, which I use all the time, and there's not enough capacity. You know, and it's funny because you see little, you know, if you lock your, your bike to this railing, it will be, you know, it, it may be removed. It's like, why are you doing that? There's 300 bikes locked to that railing. You know what I mean? This is all about capacity building. Yeah, one of the things I think about is um, locking in at a, at a statewide level uh, design criteria that mm. would say if we're going to start moving toward dedicated bus lanes, they need to be designed in concert with d safe cycling lanes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get two for one. Yeah. While you're while you're figuring out how to do the design and the construction or whatever yeah. for the dedicated bus, build in that safe cycling lane. Yeah. Completely rethink the way the public realm works from a mobility perspective. Right. Would would you advocate for a bike bus lane? Because I think those are totally fine. Yeah, beyond. I think I think you have to take each 
particular location yeah. as it is in terms of its ability, its capacity, and, and how it's laid out, but sure. Yeah. 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 So let me ask, I want to ask kind of a silly question, but it's, it, it's, it's part of the, I guess, revolution that's happening right now in your industry. Um, what's up with the scooters? Uh, you're, yeah. you're a cycling person, and now you're working for a company <laughs> that really is more of a scooter company if you look nationwide at what they're doing. Yeah. Um, although you're, you know, you're doing a lot of bikes here, which I think is really why they changed the name, right? You said mobility, and it was they were jumping into scooters so quickly. Yeah, and, th- and we're not stopping here. We have other uh, modes under development, absolutely. We want to capture any trip that's three miles uh, or less that may be taken in a car. Why, why is it that the scooter it became, is becoming popular so quickly? Is there something about it that's less intimidating than, than a bicycle? even? Um, I, I don't 100% know the answer to the question, but uh, it's mind-blowing in terms of the numbers. So maybe our pedal bikes get a trip per bike per day, maybe our you know one to two, maybe our e-bikes get three to four, maybe five. Our scooters are up a dozen or more every day. And this is in every because market. Because they're cool? I'm wondering they're, they're, they're so not yeah. cool. I mean, this is the <laughs> weird thing about it. And, and again, so I, do, I joined Line Bike last August, right? And this is, you call me a bike guy, and I'm, I'm certainly, I like to help people live car light. I like to cycle. Um, I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a scooter guy, right? And when I heard about the pivot to scooters, we were on a company trip. We went to, to uh, China to see our factory and, and you know, design and um, some team building. And they showed us some scooters. And we're like, what the hell is this? Scooters? I joined a bike company. I'm not, wh- wh- what's this going to do? Um, I had to normalize it for myself. And I've been riding one around all winter between my office at Work Bar and Central and Kendall Square, where my daughter goes to, uh, to preschool. And it's only about a mile. And for the first, like, it's really cold, so there's not that many people out on the sidewalks. But if I saw someone, I would, I'd pretend I was kicking because I felt like a nerd on this thing. This is like last February. Um, and I've since normalized it. I rode one here today, uh, and I will be riding it home through Kendall all the way back. I live out near Alewife. Um, and they're incredibly fun. They are super nimble, right? And, and if you think about what you can do, a three-mile trip on a scooter for, like, the cost of a T-Pass, not a T-Pass, like a, a, a subway, 250 right? And um, they, I, I think that they're a Trojan horse to get the cyclists, all the infrastructure that they've been pushing and pushing and pushing for for so many years, but because scooters are, they have no political baggage. Who's against scooters, right? They're just super fun. They're very stable. They're like a four inch off the ground, center of gravity. And we're just seeing the uptake is ridiculous on them. People will get on a scooter, uh, uh, I don't know why, but you know, many times more than our other vehicles. Um, you know, it's interesting because a scooter uh, in 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 the street is really more like a pedestrian than a bicycle. It's not; it doesn't feel as much like a vehicle as it does well, like just a. I mean, our scooters walk. are capped at fourteen point eight miles per hour. Uh, that's a good clip. That's like a, you know, that's going pretty decent on a bicycle. I'm not typically going faster than that. These uh, are electric powered? These are electric powered scooters, exactly. And they have a little throttle and they have a little, you know, ba- tell you the battery indicator and they'll tell you um, how much, uh, uh, how, uh, what the speed is. And it's an assist up to 14.8 miles per hour. So um, I'm finding that when you're in a bike lane, you're sort of like right in the middle of the pack of a bunch of cyclists. You're not passing and you're not being passed uh, unless it's, you know, an outlier that's slow or fast. So, um, you know, this is. The key here is for us to be successful beyond having that sort of collaborative approach with cities, and we don't we don't rogue launch, right? We're not Uber, despite yesterday's modest investment in that in that round. Um, our approach has always been collaborative, and we come to cities and we say, "This is what we can do. We need your buy-in. You've got a bike lane, so we're launching the 15 cities that that uh, as part of the MAPC RFP that ring the the blue bike system." And they all have a bike plan that MAPC wrote for them in 2013. 
So I'm like, hey, remember this? <laughs> let's get some cones and paint and bollards and let's do something every weekend this summer. Let's test it out. Call it a pilot, politically much more palatable for people. And uh, we will bring the bikes. These things are rolling computers. You get all the data. We're not charging you for it. And it's because we're not trying to make a buck with a bike. We're trying to show cities what the future could look like. So it sounds like you're saying uh, players like Lime uh, being in the uh, inner suburbs, but outside of Boston, Cambridge, Somerville, mm -hmm. um, is allowing uh, this bike plan to be adopted faster and bike share generally to happen maybe you know years, if not a decade, faster than it, than it would have if we kept waiting for Hubway to expand. Yeah, and, and look, I, I never want to seem like blue bikes, yeah. but I never want to seem like I'm against Hubway. You mentioned before I was a GM from launch in 2011 through the first million trips in 2013. What Hubway has done is... They proved. I mean, do you remember the Herald? It was just before we launched. I think they had lambs to the slaughter on the cover, right? Because they were like, you're going to release 600 bikes mm -hmm. into traffic with inexperienced cyclists. This is going to be chaos. 600. It was 610 bikes, exactly. And now, uh, and what we saw, we crossed our fingers. We said, we hope we hit 100,000 trips in the first year. We knew we'd be closed for the summer. So we figured, you know, about eight and a half months, 100,000 trips. Ah, let's, let's go for it. 600 bikes. Ten and a half weeks we hit that. And in the two years I was there, we had less than two dozen reports of accidents, right? And the, I think the most severe was either a concussion or a broken arm. So, so that kind of growth, that, that can't possibly be the function of great marketing. It's too quick to be just a marketing thing. Bring right? bikes and people will ride them, right? And what we can do is we can bring bikes at scale. Hubway stations, when I was there, were $50,000 a piece. That was a 19 docking station with 10 bikes. That's the reason that the Hubway system, as big as it is, is as small and limited as it is. Because how are they going to, I mean, 50 grand, the cities have to buy that. And they have to find sponsorship dollars to run it. Um, it's just, it's a model who's outdated. Oh, okay. So, wow, you went there. Um, so oh, it's, absolutely. It's, out, it's outdated. <laughs> no, I'm no, it, it performs, <laughs> it, it actually performs, uh, absolutely performs a function right now. But in terms of new cities saying, hey, I'm going to find 8 million bucks to plop down to buy and run bike share. Who wants to do that? When companies like mine are out there, I mean, look at what we did in Seattle. They, they shuttered their um, bike share system. It had about 500 bikes. It was called Pronto. And they closed it in March of 2017. And this is right when Dockless was sort of tickling around San Francisco, the, the Blue Go Go company that got kicked out, uh, the, the Chinese-based company that went rogue. And clearly transition was happening. And when we saw, I mean, as an industry uh, you know, analyst and consultant, I was like, oh, my goodness, we just lost a major bike share system. Mm -hmm. Seattle just lost their bike share. They decided to close it down rather than pay another 1.3 million to, to, to get, you know, limp ridership for the next year. They said, that's it. Scott Kubley made the choice. He said, I'm out. Uh, but he didn't say bikes don't work here. He said, hey, let's try this dockless thing. And three months later, Phoenix from the ashes, he had a dockless permit that was written and he had three companies. It was um, uh, Linebike, Ofo uh, from China and Spin, uh, another US-based company. 500 bikes each. So now they had three times the bikes that they had just closed that weren't working. And all of a sudden, bike shares seemed to be working in Seattle. Every month, they said, okay, you can have 500 more if you prove that you can responsibly operate these. And they had all sorts of, there was a, it was a permit, right? You had to hit certain metrics and, and all that. Um, Seattle now has 8,500 bikes, I think, or 8,000 shared bicycles that are dockless. And 4,500 of them are ours. And they're being used and they're being ridden. And if you look at the map, uh, Pronto was exactly where you would launch a, an old-style system, right? Mm -hmm. It was downtown, close to business district, close to a school, sort of in the, the nicer area, exactly where Hubway launched. Um, and that's the model, and they weren't riding it. 
Um, so people said, oh, it's the hills, it's the helmet law, it's the, the climate. That's just not the case. And the beautiful part of this is within three or four days, our bikes, 500 of them, because we have GPS in every one, and we know where these things are, the heat map, the entire footprint of Seattle was green. So from an equity perspective, um, if you do a dock-based system, you are inherently inequitable. It just is the way it is. Um, and what we've seen is our bikes go everywhere, so we make them accessible, uh, affordable, and available, right? Those are the three keys. Um, and we can talk about how we do that. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you, you mentioned Seattle because I was just yes, yes, yesterday reading, and I think it was a Seattle Times article um, discussing how Seattle may be um, on the vanguard as far as uh, the model that yeah. works um, for bike share. And they were comparing, you know, to places like DC and Chicago. And then um, Dallas provided a good foil because yeah, it yeah. was kind of like the, the no holds barred. And they started pulling <laughs> that back a little bit because right. people were having bikes parked in their yard for, you know, months yeah, and great. were upset about it. But to talk to me about watching from your vantage point yeah. and, and seeing what you did here with Hubway and now Blue Bikes and what you're doing now with Lime and you're watching how it, that's happening around the country. Yeah. What model do you think? Um, is going to take over, and, and what, what will we see happening in Boston, or what should we see happening in Boston? The beauty about the uh, RFP that MAPC put out uh, was that they gathered everybody who had wanted to join the Hubway system, but were, the, the barrier was cost, right? Hundreds of thousands of dollars for these cities to then get, cities and towns, to then get four, five, six stations that would never generate enough revenue to cover their own costs. You really need to be down in Faneuil Hall if you want to have a profitable, quote, profitable uh, um, bike share station. Um, so the dockless model is allowing this to penetrate further out, making those deeper connections to transit from further out. And this isn't transit like, oh, I'm going to go to you know Central Square. This is, I'm going to be in the middle of the 134 bus over by the uh, West Medford Cemetery, right? Like you can connect to transit there. Mm -hmm. And it's a non-traditional place to do that. So what we're seeing nationwide is 40% of our trips. And it's way more in some cities, but it's on average across 70 plus markets that we operate bikes and scooters and e-bikes in is we're seeing 40% connection to transit. Roughly 27, 28% of our trips start or end at local retail. Right. Does it give you people more flexibility, more agility in terms of... Oh, absolutely, because, yeah. yeah, they're like, I'm going to use this now because the dock-based system doesn't make sense for every trip. Right. If you're going right. to have to, well, I'm going to go there, but I have to park But where here. do I park it? Yeah. So then it's like, yeah, six bucks for an Uber, I'm just going gonna, gonna to jump in a lift or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So by bringing these extra options, um, we're just finding that people are making better choices. And they're making it, I mean, this is a hockey stick. And we're on that same trajectory that Hubway had with 600 bikes, and now we're doing it. We have 35,000 vehicles in the United States right now. We've launched uh, multiple markets in Europe. Paris has Lime scooters right now and has had for about 12 days, uh, and they're being ridden exactly like they are here, like astronomically. How do you guys deal with the mundane stuff, maintenance, theft? Yeah, that's moving and storing vehicles is what shared mobility is all about and fixing vehicles. Yeah, so it's a different model um, with the bicycles uh, because they're designed to live outside, and, and you know we obviously have rebalancing vans just like any other bike share system would. Um, but we also use, because we're an app-based uh, company, we also use gamification, for example. If we have a bike that's a little, it's been sitting for a couple of days and we don't want it to and we'd mm -hmm. rather not spend the carbon and the labor to go get it, if you open up your app, instead of seeing a lime slice, you'll see a little money bag. And you say, oh, they'll pay me to ride that bike. So uh -huh. it's either a free trip or a discounted trip, and you need to ride it five minutes in either direction, right? And then it's it's free. So we find a lot of people like <laughs> make make a Pokemon Go game out of sure, it. You know sure. what I mean? Um, so you know we have little tricks like that as well. 
The scooters um, are different because our e-bikes, we bring batteries to the field, charged up batteries, and we just hot swap the battery. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't do that yet with our current iteration of scooter. We're redesigning it where we will have a hot swappable battery. But right now, these need to be charged. Uh, and the way we do that is we either go and get them ourselves every night. Um, it's interesting to note, actually, that cities like that, especially when we come in and say we want to do a pilot, they say, well, what does this even look like? There are going to mm -hmm. be scooters everywhere. And it's like, yeah, but <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, we're going to reset the system every night because we pull them in off the street. We recharge them. We put them back out in the same spots the next day, spots that we call Lime Hubs, which are essentially virtual stations. And, you know, we, we identify those as places that are close to transit, as places, um, uh, businesses that we've identified that have said, yeah, you can put them in front of my store. You're going to have 10 people come in front of my store every morning? Absolutely. Uh, um, so by building partnerships like that, again, this is about being deeply embedded in the community. This isn't about coming in from above. We don't Uber people. And that is a verb. I don't care what they did with our C-Round. That's still a verb to me. Um, and, and we're committed not to do that. Mm -hmm. I, I hope that you can tell us, you know, from having worked with Hubway um, and the, the model of, of how that worked, where the municipalities mm -hmm. got together yeah. and then they had an RFP and they, they got the operator to come in. Um, but it was really driven by more by the municipalities, in my understanding. Yes. Um, you're on the other side now where it's still a partnership with the municipality. Um, RFPs can still be used. Um, but what are you learning about the model of how it operates in that partnership and yeah. what gets shared? Because one of the great things that I, that I liked kind of from a nerd standpoint with uh, Hubway was getting to see the maps, yeah, the heat the maps, open data, right, because it was right. all open data, right? Yeah. What are you learning about the partnership, um, about how to make this work, and also about the sharing data and things like that from seeing both sides? Yeah, and it's unfolding minute by minute. I mean, I was shocked last weekend or last week by all the, the changes in the in the industry. And I had been, I thought, as shocked as I could be the week before. So, I mean, everything just keeps changing. But in terms of how we, it's a great point. We come in with data and we say to cities, you can have this and you can use this to make better planning decisions, right? We're not charging for it. We're not packaging it up and giving it back to you. Um, this is just what we do. Um, I will say that the... Um, the, the tone and tenor of conversations that I had last fall are markedly different than they are this spring, where last fall it was like, wait a second, this is going to cost me a quarter million bucks, and you're going to bring it for free, and you're going to operate it to a very high standard, and you know, with all, you know, all the experience that, that you and the team bring, um, uh, what's the catch? And I was like, there is no catch, but you need your skin in the game is infrastructure. Your skin in the game is connecting me with the different groups that are going to help us get the word out about what these are and how they work. Because dockless bikes, as you know, people say the sky is going to fall, the bikes are going to be everywhere, and people tripping all over the place. It's not the case. It just isn't the case. When it happens, it's painful, and it's visible, and people just repeat it over and over and over again. But it really doesn't happen that often. And what we have here is a cultural issue, not an operational issue, right? Um, so we need partners to sort of help us mitigate that initial bike lash or whatever that, that typically comes out. Uh, but the conversations we're having now, because there's so many players in the space, is how can you sweeten the deal? Mm. Like, and I was like, what do you mean? Besides bring your free bike share and data and then not do anything for it? I'm not, I don't understand the question. I mean, right. that was an actual conversation that's happened with, with city leadership before. And it's like, I don't know what to say to that. Um, and, you know, not all companies are created equal. And it, it does come down. You could say, well, that, that bike is this color and that bike is that color. And they both, it's an app. It's the same thing, right? Intention matters, right? Intention is a very soft thing. It's a very hard thing to, to get across in a believable way, right? Mm -hmm. and, and cities just think like, oh, 300 million bucks and you're you know, Silicon Valley based. And I know, I know what you're going to do. And it's like what we're trying to do is say, look at the track record. We've only been operating bikes for a year. 
But the team that we've built has got you know deep, deep roots, not only in policy, in operations, in shared mobility. We've done this before. Our aim is true. We're pointing at the sun, right? We're pointing at the sun. Look at the sun with us, and that's the way we're going. Um, we've had some success. We still are painted sort of with that that brush um, of of other companies that maybe don't have that same uh, that same approach. But I think you know over time, this whole shakeout with um, we've got some of the, the larger Asian companies rumored to be leaving the United States. They've already left Australia and, and parts of, of uh, the Middle East. Like OFO? Like OFO, yeah. And Spin has announced that, you know, we don't want to do bikes anymore. We want to do scooters. And it's like, well, you, you signed a contract to do bikes. You're supposed to do what you said you were going to do. I mean, that was just announced last week. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff. The one constant is lime marching forward, right? And we're still going to the sun. And a lot of, a lot of cities are like, hey, I think these guys... We still need to build more trust, mm-hmm. right? But that's what we're doing. It's like, that's where we're going. Do you want to go to the future with us? Or do you want to be stuck back here with all this 95% for cars, 5% for everybody else, and everyone's going to be fighting for it? If you were going to predict the, the, the Boston uh, mobility future, um, do you think that we will still have um, blue bikes um, a I decade so. from now? Do you think oh, it will be a, a hybrid system? Will, will there yeah. be dockless all over the city of Boston? What, what do you think will, it, it will evolve to? Yeah, I mean, we'll all be in our own little hovercrafts at that point. I, I don't know what the mode's going to be. I don't know what the vehicle will be, but it's, it's changing so fast. I mean, let's see, let's see what happens um, if they allow scooters in and see how that changes things. I mean, there might be a gondola, right? Are we talking gondola to Seaport? No. Is that <laughs> <laughs> No, that's, we're going forward. You're going said. forward. Yes, right, right, right. right. But I think that's one of the big takeaways from this podcast is how quickly change is coming in, right, the, in right. the area of personal mobility. Yeah. Right? And it's, it, it, the, the sort of counterintuitive thing is that the change is coming through some more modern means of devices that were around in the 19th century. Yeah. Right? But we're making them work differently and, yeah. and we're optimizing it. And I think people need to understand that when, when, when advocates for sustainable mobility are talking about adapting to change or talking about the T, for example, needing to think about redoing a business model so that it becomes more competitive with TNCs and becomes more responsive to changing mobility desires and paradigms. It's this conversation that feeds into that. Yeah. You know, it's, as I said, it's not, it's clear that, you know, you may do some marketing, but it's more than marketing that's driving people to want to use e-bikes and scooters and, and whether it's dock or dockless bikes, it's a change of the way in which they seek to make their personal mobility happen every day. Yeah. And the best part is it's, you would think, oh, it's those darn millennials, right? right. It's, that's a big part of it. But it's across all demographics. I can't tell you that here's the, here's the person that rides our bike. Here's the person that rides our scooter. It's just all over the map. Uh, and I will say that uh, we talk a lot about regulation. And we come in with sort of uh, if a city doesn't have anything on the books or the state conflicts or the neighboring towns, you know, they all have something different. We come in with draft regulation. We say, here's what other towns and cities have been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, what works here, right? And and it, the point is to get out ahead of it so it isn't this fighting, fighting, fighting. And again, we're painted with that Uber Lyft brush of like, oh, you guys are this new thing and you're going to ask you know, forgiveness after you've already done your thing. Um, that's not the way we approach this. We come in and we want to be collaborative and we want to get out ahead of it because if we don't, we're not going to have the impact that we know we can have, which is what we're here to do. The problem is this is a hyper-competitive space. I just learned about two new scooter companies in the last week. It, what, what is going on there? So um, what we, we never want to say to a city like, well, you're going to get Ubered if you don't go with us, but we have to say, like, I'm not putting you under pressure, 
but I'm under pressure mm-hmm. because somebody's going to launch here right. and someone's going to do it. It just happened in Milwaukee yesterday. It just happened. I mean, this stuff still happens and it happens day by day. And uh, um, so from a, a competitive standpoint, you know, we, we need to be prepared, um, but we can't wait that long. What about the issue of equity? Uh, you know, yeah. my, my experience was that it took a longer time than it should have, for example, for East Boston to get its, yeah. its hubway now, Blue Bikes. And I didn't know if that was because it's easy to forget East Boston because it's across the harbor or people thought the demographics weren't yeah. there. But I, I, I am concerned for those of us who are committed to sustainable mobility and mm-hmm. new modes that we also bear in mind uh, not letting folks fall behind in terms of their ability to, yeah. to access these same modes. Exactly. And uh, my understanding of East is it was just cost. Mm-hmm. You know, because you'd have to set up a satellite location warehouse to manage that, and it had to be built out enough to be an actual system yeah. on that side of the of the harbor. So, um, I'm assuming it was just cost. I wasn't. We weren't in Eastie when I was there, but you know, seven years on, there's there's no uh, blue bikes in Mattapan. Mm-hmm. They say this is the year, but I mean, when you look at, I think it's up by Franklin Park is the closest next closest station yeah how are you going to bridge two miles how many stations does it take to do that effectively i don't know how you're going to pay mm-hmm. for that um the 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 uh, seattle example that i gave earlier um where our bicycles they're available because they go everywhere and as long as they're parked responsibly they can be anywhere right and this is why i think the mbta needs to be in close partnership yeah because no matter what anybody tells me, my whole life's experience is if you're, if you're a private sector company, no matter how innovative or good-natured and good-intentioned you are, yeah. you have one role, which is to make the company prosper mm. and make money. And you should. That's the job. The public sector exists to make sure equity is involved mm. in any aspect of life, including mobility. Once we lose that sense, it's the T's responsibility because it is a public agency to do that. And so I keep thinking about ways in which partnerships and collaborations can really push the synergies so yeah. that the public sector is also helping the private sector make sure that what it's doing is equitable. Not to force it, yeah. but to create collaborative environments and synergies that make it work. Yeah, well, it's great. We were, um, nothing's finalized, so I'm not going to say the name of the town, but it's one of the larger legacy towns north of Boston. And uh, we're talking with them, and they have a regional transportation authority. And, you know, when we talked about coming into the city, you know, with three to 500 bicycles, um, the connections to transit really had to be robust. And we sat down with, with this transit authority to, uh, to talk about, you know, commuter day and, and you know, try it, try it day or whatever the, the right. uh, phrase is to say, I'll give two free rides. You give a round trip on a bus uh, and let's see how many people that live and the burbs that drive in here for work or school or whatever would shift their mode. And we had sort mm-hmm. of, we had data that, that showed how many, you know, vehicle registrations there are within X, you know, 600 feet of this bus stop. So we were like going to be hyper-targeted about this. At least that was my plan. And I walked in and they were like, nah, no, we're good. Like they just didn't even see that there was any value there, you know. Um, so it varies by transit agency, of course. Um, are you actively thinking that scooters and bikes are first, last mile solutions for many people? Absolutely. I mean, as you get further out, it's more it's more difficult in the inner core. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, scooters, you know, we're seeing that some of the trips are fun and that has value, right? And some of the trips are tourists. That fun has is value. good. Fun yeah. is good, right? Um, but yeah, we're first last mile. We're first last 10 feet. You can park us anywhere that's legal and proper to park a scooter or a bicycle. We're really flabbergasted by the, the, the uptake. Again, I mentioned we went from line bike to line. We always were going to start with a bicycle. We're going to move to e-bikes. We're going to move to scooters. And then we're going to move on to our next vehicle. We're sort of building this pyramid. Um, I just, you know, none of us thought that we were going to build it this fast. Yeah. Um, but I will make one more, one more point about equity, if you don't mind. Yes, please. Um, when we did our pilot program with 200 bicycles in the city of Malden last fall, uh, they really went out on a branch and they brought us in, they brought OFO in, they said, let's see, what does this look like? They've got great bones, good public transit, and, you know, they've got the mm-hmm. Orange Line stops and buses, they've got the, the, the Northern Strand path, uh, bike path, and, and growing bike infrastructure. What we were seeing were patterns of usage that were happening overnight 11 to 12 o'clock at night, bikes were going deep into Chelsea. And you know that area in Chelsea where all the warehouses are, all the, f- the food distribution behind, sure do. The, behind the gasoline mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. refineries. Um, and then the bikes were coming back out in the morning. The mm. bikes were going into Home Depot for an overnight shift at, at Gateway Plaza, Gateway Center, and then they were coming back out. This is the sort of stuff, you know, bike share has always been seen as another option for people like the, us who have a lot of options, right. right? What if it's your only option? I think that's important data to collect, too. People yeah. need to know about it. Yeah, I think it's good. And Absolutely. you're sharing this type of data with the cities? Absolutely. We built a data dashboard that they identify who their data officer is going to be, and they get to plug right in. And it includes heat maps of actual routes day by day. I mean, this stuff is robust. Mm-hmm. We can see where every bike is going all the time. Um, so we talked about availability. availability. We talked about affordability. It's a dollar to ride these bikes a dollar to unlock the electric vehicles, bike or scooter, and then it's 15 cents per minute. Okay, so a 10-minute trip, 250. That's uh, on par with the T. Um, but it really is the accessibility part. What are the two main hurdles to dockless mobility and even, um, even a dock-based system? It is a credit card and it's smartphone. And we've created the Lime Access Program. We're rolling it out now. Um, uh, it's been very successful in the Bay Area. We're bringing it here where if you are an existing um, recipient of government benefits, SNAP, WIC, EBT, and such, uh, we, we, don't, you know, we don't really have a high bar. It's not like we're mm-hmm. going to cut you out if it's a different kind. Um, you're allowed to apply. Uh, we just need you to prove that you are receiving this. You get into our system, and then you're eligible for $5. We'll get you 100 uh, ride credits, $101 ride credits on our pedal bikes. And you can pay by cash at the Pay Near Me network, which is 27000 um, nationwide, it's like CVS's Dollar General 7-Eleven. So they're in, in most towns. Um, and then obviously if there's a desert, we can set it up like uh, we're working with the, um, the folks over in Chelsea, the uh, um, Green Roots Chelsea. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be talking to Chelsea Collaborative, the neighborhood developers. You know, there's, there's, there's ways to get into the community that are actually uh, more effective than me going in and having a table event and doing it. You know what I mean? Like it's by engaging the community groups that are doing great work, letting them know what this is, and then working with them to get the word out. Um, and you know, Spanish, uh, Spanish language support is huge. And you'll, if you go up to our bikes in Chelsea and Everett, you'll see that most of them are either all in Spanish or bilingual. And that is probably the lowest bar that, that any system should hit, but nobody's doing it. Um, well, but, it's a very interesting conversation. We probably need to wrap up. Yeah. Don't forget that, um, overnight bus service, night bus will mm. start pilot after Labor Day. Yes. And they're going to be maybe opportunities for people to take a bike from their place of work to one of the pilot yeah. bus routes or yeah. from one of the pilot bus route stops to home. Yeah. Consider that. Absolutely. We're working very close with Jackie DeWolf, of course, man, uh, Director yeah. of Sustainable Transportation at MassDOT. Like, we, we want to be in the mix. <laughs> 
Thank you again for joining us today, um, Scott. And um, thank you for the listener for being a part of this podcast. And we look forward to uh, speaking with you next time. All right. See thanks, you guys. next time.